This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. I'm Aaron Sagers, and this is Talking Strange. Aloha, spooky nerds, and welcome to Talking Strange, a paranormal pop culture show with the Den of Geek Network, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. I'm your host, journalist, author, and researcher of all things weird, Aaron Sager, is also appearing as the host of the Netflix series 28 Days Haunted and the Travel Channel and Discovery Plus show Paranormal Caught on Camera. And today we are talking about dolls and haunted dolls and theories surrounding haunted dolls. And Robert the Doll, who is, I would say, arguably one of the most famous haunted dolls out there. And we are also, towards the end of the show, we're going to be reading some spooky, real-life, true stories about haunted dolls submitted from our listeners. And these listeners, they've been kind of contesting for their own baby oopsie haunted doll from the Full Moon Features horror franchise. It's a one-to-one replica haunted doll. I don't know if if it comes with a spirit attached to it, but it is a pretty creepy looking doll and I love it. I have one at home myself and we're going to read some stories and our guests are going to be the ones judging who gets the baby oopsie replica haunted doll. So it's going to be exciting in that way. So we already have some folks lining up in our comment section for those that are watching us live and Happy to see you guys in there. And I'm excited to bring in these guests. So first up, she has previously been on the Talking Strange show. She is a freelance writer, a religion journalist, an editor. She received a BA in film at Wesleyan University and an MA in film studies from Emory University. Also studied film and theater at Cornell and the University of Paris, and has been studying witchcraft and the occult for over 30 years. She's written for Turner Classic Movies, The Wild Hunt, Circle Magazine, Pathos.com, and other outlets, and her work can be found currently at Religion News Service and Religion Unplugged, and is a member of the Circle Sanctuary, Covenant of the Goddess, and the Religion News Writers association and her name is heather green and heather bringing you into the stream hey heather thanks so much for joining us today thanks for having me i'm very excited to talk about dolls i'm excited to be talking about dolls i'm also excited to have you back heather last time we were uh, having this conversation you were talking about your book witchcraft and hollywood correct yeah i have a copy right here to hold it up if you don't mind, there he is. <laughs> Lights, camera, witchcraft. Yes, this tracks the witchcraft and magic as it is in Hollywood through from the beginning of Hollywood's history. So we 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 did a lot of talking about that. 
It's a great book. It's one that I refer to frequently. It's uh, both an easy read and also just a good reference guide. I, I like it quite a bit. Thank so you. I'm I'm happy to have you back, Heather. Thank you for joining us. And my other guest is, uh, well, you know, first off, he's a good buddy of mine. That's that's the thing that I'm most excited about. I'm always happy to have him around. And um, yeah, like really someone that in a few short years has become a person that I reach out to often and rely on for all sorts of information when it comes to the paranormal and spooky things and also Key West, Florida, because he is based out of Key West, Florida. He's an author. He's a producer. He is the author of more than 20 books, including Ghost of Key West, Haunted Key West, uh, uh, Quit Your Job and Move to Key West, The Florida Keys Bucket List, and also, of course, the Robert the Doll book. And he first started on, he's first started one of the first ghost tours in the United States in Key West in 1996. Today he runs Sloan's Ghost Fort Adventures at Key West Fort East Martello. He has conducted extensive research on Robert the Doll and Count Carl von Kossel, which is an entirely separate topic that we could fill an hour and many hours with. And he dedicates his time to unraveling the history behind the greatest mysteries and legends in the Florida Keys. His name is David L. Sloan. David, hey man, good to see hey. you. Great to see you. Great to see you both. Yeah, I, I'm excited to bring you guys together from your different perspectives and just uh, very appreciative that you're dedicating your time to this today. Uh, I should also, I, I think it would be, I'd be remiss if I didn't also point out that there is a Robert the Doll Spice Rum too, right? Not just a oh, yeah. but the <laughs> rum. And, you know, I happen to have a bottle sitting right beside me. <laughs> just and- happen to have a bottle. And it is Robert the Doll's Red Rum, and we all know what Red Rum is about. Uh, We do know. Under the sunlight, it looks like blood. It's seasoned with traditional spices used in voodoo ceremonies in Key West from the past. I have a bottle of this rum, and I'm not afraid to drink it. It's more like I want to just keep it sealed because it's a bit of a collector's item, so I I haven't opened it up yet. So, and there's the risk of possession every time that you drink it. <laughs> I I have experienced a level of possession when I've had some rum before. So <laughs> depending on the level, I definitely feel like something is over one of those. <laughs> yeah. Um, so David, I, I, I want to start with you. Having written the Robert the Doll book, the definitive Robert the Doll book, We've talked in the past about your exploration and investigation into Robert the Doll, but I was curious about how you first got involved with this story. What was the first kind of entry point for you with Robert the Doll? Because you're not a native conch, you're not originally from Key West, but uh, you have certainly made a footprint in the area with all the books that you've written about the area. So what was the first entry point with Robert? So I had the fascination with ghosts, uh, quit the corporate job and moved to Key West to start a ghost tour. And I found nothing for a long time, went to the library. They had this treasure trove, a folder in the vaults of newspaper articles from the past, but but the different stories. And one that I found it was about Ann Otto, the ghost of Ann Otto haunting the artist house bed and breakfast. And I knocked on the door 
And Daryl, the owner, opened the door. And I said, hey, I'm starting something called a ghost tour. I'm here to talk to you about your ghost. He goes, oh, you want to hear about Robert? And I said, no, I want to hear about Ann. He said, no, you want to hear about Robert? And I said, no, not really. And then he started talking about this doll. And I thought he was absolutely insane. Wow. And then as the story went on, I'm, I'm like, this is unbelievable. And he said, do you want to see the room where he used to live? I said, yeah. The phone flew off the hook. And this is the old school phones, you know, with the cord. And it extends all the way out and snaps back. And he looked like there was no big deal. He goes, yeah, Robert's waiting. And then we go to go up the stairs. He walks past a bookcase. Well, as I go past, the bookcase opens to stop me. And he says, yeah, that's normal. And then we go up into the attic and it was still decorated with Robert's little chairs and tables. It looked like this creepy kid's party about to explode. And the room took on this intense heat. I thought I was going to throw up if I didn't get out of there. And I thanked him for his time. I said, I said, I've got to go. Thank you. And he told me Robert was at the museum. He still wasn't on display. Took me about a week to get into the museum to find somebody who would actually bring Robert out. And when I met him, the curator came out holding him like a baby. And she's talking to him. She said, this is David. He's starting something called a ghost tour and he wants to take pictures of you. And I'm like, these people in this town, people in Key West are crazy. And then she set him down the table. I took pictures, nothing. And I went to grab his hat to take it off of his head. Bam! He came alive. Same negative heat energy from the attic. And I knew at that moment, I'm like, this is not a joke. This is real. Hmm. Wow. And you went on to write the book. And then more recently, I know you took part in the Travel Channel shock doc about Robert the Doll. How would you say that Robert has impacted your life, both you know positively and negatively? Uh, well, I've gone through years of hell because of Robert. And here's the interesting thing. Nobody knew what Robert was. Everybody had the legends. They said, oh, created by an angry servant. Um, you know, created with voodoo, but nobody knew. And when I became obsessed with it, and I don't give myself the credit for this, I give myself credit for showing up. I feel like the story was ready to be told and it was revealed to me. Um, in the archives, I was able to find a lot about the family and I was able to piece together parts of the legend. I said, this part fits with this and this part fits with that. And I found the nanny and I found a lawsuit she filed. So I all these things and we were able to find out that Robert was a stife um, you know we were able to find out origins that nobody ever knew stife as in the uh, the doll manufacturer the toy yes. manufacturer yeah. yeah and his ear had been pulled off um, you know with him with him that's the stife trademark is a button in the ear and um, kids who play with their toys pull the ears off so that's why nobody knew for a long time but I've been through absolute hell with the doll. I stopped doing anything that had to do with them for a long time. Uh, I stopped. I had to convince myself the paranormal was not true. 
as a safety measure. I had to convince myself of that because of the terrible things that were happening. I went through several years where I would not talk about it. Um, I had other guides who who would do my tour and I just had to stay away because I got in too deep. So that was on the downside, but on the positive side, after 26 years researching Robert, I really thought that he might be the reason that I was in Key West. Uh, but about three years ago, I found out that the haunted fort where he now resides, um, you know, it's a whole civil war fort. And I started digging into the civil war and I found out that the first David L. Sloan, <clears throat> my great, great, great grandfather, um, his civil war regiment, Pennsylvania 47th volunteers helped build that fort. Mm-hmm. Now I almost feel like Robert was secondary and he was just a vessel to get me to find out about my family history in Key West. Yeah. Yeah. That isn't, it. it's a fascinating story. Your family connection to the fort and how you were pulled into the Robert story, almost, uh, almost like he was the entry point, but not the ultimate reason that you yeah. were brought into Key West. Uh, Heather, from your perspective as an author and a cult researcher and a journalist, why do you think that so many people, I mean, let's face it, like dolls are some of the most famously haunted or allegedly haunted objects out there. You can buy them on eBay. You can, there's a whole aftermarket of haunted dolls that you can pursue. What is it about dolls that, attract us so much that makes it such a popular allegedly haunted object um i think there's a that's a a really interesting question and i think it, it goes back to just the nature of the doll it's it's a human form it's something that is um so easily transferred fear on because it's it's human but it's not human it's i think there was a word uh one of the folklorist I spoke to um, when I was doing some research called it the uncanny. I think that's a Freud term, but I, I like to talk about it more like the object. It's, it's something that is human, but not human. It's, it looks human to us. It's supposed to be human. Children play with it as if it was human. You said that the curator brought Robert out holding it like a baby. So we treat them even as little kids as human, but yet they sit there with their smiles in this uncanny way, this, this way that they're not human. So you wind up with this kind of place that they sit in that is very comfortable in the realm of horror, especially when you talk about movies. It's a very, very good place for us to either project a fear or actually experience something like, like with Robert and other ones, um, Annabelle, another one, um, famous, famous one. Um, so I think that's the reason they have that sort of uncanny feeling that fear, is it real? Is it human? Is it not human? We don't know. And a lot of the monsters we see that fear that um, are the most fearsome are similar. They're human yet not human. Think of the vampire, the Frankenstein figure, um, and uh, numerous other ones, werewolves. They're human, but not human. And that's what's horrifying. Yeah. And I, I'm going to follow up with that, but first David, my question to you is that there are a lot of haunted dolls out there and some have become more famous than others, but how do you view Robert as different than some other famously haunted dolls that, that are out there that are part of the pop culture? 
I think with a lot of dolls out there, a lot of haunted dolls or, or even supposedly haunted dolls, um, most of them are associated with one spirit. And the thing with Robert is there are multiple spirits. And you know, when you look historically, Robert's the oldest haunted doll out there. You know, somebody else can come up and they can say, hey, I have a doll that dates back to 1832 and it's haunted. But the provenance on the story doesn't start, you know, in, in, until, until recently. Um, and, but with Robert the doll, we have, we have documentation that goes back before uh, uh, ghost TV shows were popular, before people had a great to create a haunted doll. Um, so his back much further, um, the, the things associated with it are pretty much have paved the pathway for behavior of a lot of haunted dolls. Um, and he's got multiple entities within him. So it's not just this one spirit. Uh, when when uh, Cindy Kaza was down with the, with the Discovery Channel, picked up on what many people have thought before, that there are multiple entities, but she took it a step further and she said, there's a portal inside of them. And she believes that this voodoo spell that, that, that placed the spirit in him in the first place actually put a portal in. And there's multiple entities. And what it boils down to is there's the child spirit, the child who died that we tracked down historically. You didn't say, yes, this child died and the person possessing the doll. And you've got all these other spirits who are protecting that child but they're not necessarily the good ones. So when the child feels that it's been disrespected, it's almost like it marks whoever's disrespectful. And then these other entities come out and follow them home and create the living hell. So Mm. that's why you can have multiple people cursed by Robert at the same time. You're You're dealing with the 300. I mean, something with Robert that I do like from a journalistic perspective is there is chain of custody and these documented reports whether people believe or not that's okay that's up to them and the haunting element of it but the stories have existed for a long time what i mean robert what is what is the earliest kind of story of haunting that you've been able to track down connected with robert i've talked to people who grew up here who in the 1950s would walk and talk about seeing Robert up in the window, and they'd say that was the haunted house, and they'd cross the street to stay away. So we have things mm-hmm. like that. And But going back to uh, 1904, when Gene was just four years old, I found on the paper talking about a dog show that was held in town. That's what they do in Key West, you know? <laughs> you have dog shows. And Gene showed up with his dog, uh, whose name was Teej. He showed up with him in um, a doll carriage. Um, so that's the first reference I find of, of him as a, as a young boy having um, an interest in dolls. So you, you have the things like that. And then we have the other historic documents um, with Emmeline Abbott. You know, I tracked her down as the servant for the Otto family. And in 1900, she shows no children. 1910 census, she shows no children living, one child dead. Mm-hmm. 
that's the time period that Robert arrived. And it makes sense for this child spirit inhabiting the doll. So you have documents that that fit the story going back to uh, from, from the time Gene was very, very young. Uh, and then they really started picking up steam. It seems like the autos were private to a degree, you know, and on the island, people people keep secrets amongst islanders. But after Gene died, the stories really started going around. So that goes back to 1974. Mm-hmm. That's when he died, 74? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Heather, you touched on this, but dolls... Throughout culture and throughout history, dolls have served various purposes for us. Like you have dolls going back to ancient Egypt and Rome where they were servants to be placed in a tomb or maybe they would be a worry doll. They would tell your your troubles to or maybe they'd be a vessel that you would use to attract and house spirits. And then there's also the, the childlike element of it that they are as you said miniature representations of us they they're they're avatars for the living and children will hold tea parties and play with them to essentially learn how to socialize through that act of play how much of that do you think from your occult research how much of that do you think adds a bit of i don't know if you would call it like sympathetic magic or or energy to these items that when people are treating it as these living things that it imbues them with energy. Oh, absolutely. It, it most certainly does. And, um, you know, from just from a, um, from one perspective or, or from a witchcraft perspective, from a witch perspective, um, you know, you have something called puppets and those things have been around across the world and across cultures. Um, often uh, Hollywood has used the word voodoo doll. Um, voodoo, the religious practice does not the only religious magical practice that uses this this form of magic which is very much sympathetic magic they're usually in in puppets whether it's from voodoo or it's from other forms of witchcraft from wherever in the world you'll add pieces of um uh, the likeness of a person um a bit of hair um to create that sympathetic magic so that's direct that's from a witchcraft perspective but if you're talking more from a um play perspective and and you're you know and in my belief system is that everything we touch and use the more we use it the more we imbue it with our own energy and spirit the more we imbue it and and people feel that when you give a gift you give a gift with love you the gift you make we tell we say if you make it the gift is more um contains the energy of the person that made the gift the food we make for our families contains the energy that we put in we believe this in the occult world in witchcraft uh, most certainly believe that and it also is is an animistic almost um type belief that there's energy everywhere so this can imbued so when the little child plays with the doll over the years decade goes by they have the doll in their room they are putting they are attaching themselves to it they're putting their energy into it they're creating attachment and um and then the legacy goes on and and the doll has that is that what animates it? Not necessarily, but that is important part of the of the program overall. What what I'm I'm fascinated about with your research, Heather, is that I think a lot of times with Western culture in particular, and this is what I grew up with, is mm-hmm. that when we get old, uh, 
uh, a, a, a child will put away its childish things or a parent will discard those childish things. So discarding those dolls, those toys. Meanwhile, you did write about, you researched and wrote about um, in the both uh, Buddhist and Shinto temples, this funeral ritual for unwanted dolls, the Ningo Kyo. I, I'm probably mispronouncing that, but essentially a send off mm-hmm. for dolls to thank them for their service and and properly put them to rest. That's that's a very much a different take than what we do in the West. Oh, absolutely. When I when I found out that actually was occurring, I was absolutely fascinated. I had to dig in to find out what exactly was going on. In 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 Japan, there's a totally different relationship with dolls than we have here in the West. The children do play with them; they do exist as toys, but they're much more um, part of the um, legacy of a family. They're given to uh, little girls when they are first born. Um, they're passed on through families through centuries. And on top of that, you have, again, that animistic viewpoint where everything is imbued with animation. Everything is alive. And so that includes dolls. So they have a legacy of inspirited, ensouled dolls in their in their um, uh, folklore, dating back, I, I can't remember, till medieval periods of time, 1300s and stuff. You can find stories about animated dolls and tools and other things. They also don't have the fe- same fears. Um, something there, these dolls can be animated um, in positive ways and be helpful, or they can be fearful, both. So it's a different relationship. So when, with this underlying or overarching, whichever one, um, uh, understanding that the doll can be inspirited, particularly when they turn 100, which is an interesting time, they like to do a funeral for the dolls to make sure that they are um, sent off with a proper Um, goodbye you know just like you would do a human and it's important from their perspective and I am not an expert in Japanese culture this was just some research I did Um, it's it's a send-off to a family heirloom a nice goodbye uh, an ending as well as a way to ensure that the doll is and any spirits in the doll are properly respected and put to rest. And mm-hmm. usually the ceremony, it's usually done in um, Buddhist, it, well, it's done in Buddhist and Shinto temples, usually ends after prayers and such, they'll they'll burn the doll. Sometimes they throw it out, but it's usually a burning from what I'm told. And um, it's, I think that helps, especially if there's a spirit involved, because typically burning is one way that, you know, we believe here in the West is a way to get rid of one way to get rid of things that are in spirit is to burn them. Uh, and it makes a lot of sense to me on some level, because for me, my dolls as a child, I had a Kermit the Frog doll. That was something that in my uh, the, the, the photos I would take uh, with my family, my mom would set me up for like the Kmart photo session and I'd be wearing a Dukes of Hazard shirt and holding my Kermit the Frog doll or previously an Ernie doll or Ernie doll of uh, Bert and Ernie. And these were in these were very important personal objects. They were essentially an extension of me. They were things that not only did I believe at that time had some sort of life or energy, they were yeah, they were a part of me. So of course I was possessive of these things. And David, I'm curious from your perspective with that 
said and with what Heather just said, do you think that Gene Otto, the artist who originally owned Robert, and do you think that he is still exists in some form around Robert the doll or is are these hauntings totally disconnected from Gene? I feel like he exists to a degree, but I also believe that energy, it, it's almost like imposter energy. Uh, I think when we're devoting energy to an object, be that Robert the doll, be it um, a Kermit the Frog doll, I think if we start imposing energy on it and expecting something, I think whatever spirits are around or whatever energy is around will gravitate towards where it's being fed. And my belief is, okay, so as humans, we eat a sandwich when we need energy. Spirits don't have that opportunity. So they get their energy from our thoughts and our intentions and our fear and our happiness and our reactions. So I kind of think when there's a ghost anywhere, be it in a doll or what, I think it's, I don't think it's necessarily who we think it is. I think it can be whatever spirits around. And, you know, it's interesting because Sam and Colby, uh, who had the YouTube channel, came to see Robert the doll. And they did some things where they talked about by looking at a picture of Robert the doll, you can become possessed. And I've never believed that. You know, some people can't look at the picture. I've never thought he traveled through pictures. But we've been inundated with emails or messages from people saying, please apologize to Robert for me. I'm sick. I'm, I'm going through all this stuff. Now, some of that might be suggestive, but it's happening to such a degree that I can't help but think that there's spirits around these people. And when they see that opportunity for energy, they step in and say, I'll be Robert the doll. Yeah, I, uh, Heather responded to that. Yeah, I, I think, well, the first thing I think that um, is I agree with you, David, is that if just because the create the creator did imbue it with energy when he created it, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's the spirit that in, is is in the doll. I don't think that's I don't think that's necessarily true. That could happen. So we're talking about two different things. You have the poppet, the type of doll that's a poppet that's most certainly directly uh, made and created for sympathetic magic um, in some way. That's gonna that's gonna involve. The, a direct connection to the person that is you're either healing or hexing or whatever you're doing with the doll. Then you have what we're talking about. These dolls, they become vessels. That's different when a spirit finds a vessel um, and they could be anything, but you know, even in the stories from, from Japan, um, those would be inhabited, not by the creator of the doll. They would be inhabited, like you said, by some other energy that's found this portal into the doll, whether it's, um, there would be deity, there would be good spirits, there would be demons, Omi, and, and we have that too. So, you know, that's the case. And, you know, in terms of energy, and my haunted doll just fell over, sorry. Um, <laughs> she she just, just flopped forward, like, what are they talking about? Um, the, um, the, uh, 
the idea that um, spirits are attracted to the energy, absolutely. Well, energy attracts energy, and we know that in so many different forms. Your happiness attracts happiness. It's it's can be seen on that when you smile, everybody smiles with you. That's a simple way of saying, easy way to see what you're talking about. If someone is experiencing something that might be paranormal, um, or or even if they think. Or, or thinking about it and, and are worried about it, they could attract the paranormal. Absolutely. Most certainly. That's how I'm understanding what you're saying, David. Is that, cor- is that a correct? And, and oh, yeah. I do, if I, and I do think that happens, but I do also think in some cases it may be purely subjective as well. The fear, fear of something can do amazing things to us <laughs> without the help of spirits. <laughs> it's hard to tell. I, I'm hearing what you're saying. I, and I, I agree with uh, both of you. I, I also think like from my experience that I tend to think that there is this element to the paranormal. If, if, uh, if these spirits or ghosts or whatever you want to call them are lingering about, there's a bit of an opportunism with them that if you are showing up and talking to what you believe is a haunted doll and you're like hey are you there haunted doll talk to me make something move that maybe if someone is craving communication they're gonna respond and be like yeah i'll be a haunted doll for now or i'll be the the ghost of the little kid right now because i'm just like i want to i want to talk to someone right now so uh here i am yeah i'll be your doll i'll be your i'll be the spooky kid whatever just so i can engage with someone um, that's kind of my perspective from my experience out in the field is that mesh with what you guys think about this Heather you're nodding yeah I, absolutely and and that and that is very much a part of witchcraft if you're if you in any kind of, of magical and energetic work that you do is that if you are thinking that and thoughts and intentions and all of that is equally as magical if you're looking we all have ancestors and in, in, in my belief, we have ancestors that can watch us, even if it's not a, a harmful spirit from someone that passed in the house, for example. You know, you don't have that. We have ancestors. We have, um, you know, depending on your belief, you have deities. You have. We, there are things that watch us. There are spirits. There are ghosts. And if you are looking at a doll long enough um, and, you know, talking to it, yeah, a spirit of some sort, an ancestor might try to communicate through if they're trying to communicate, communicate through what you know, what you're talking to already. You know, it's 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 that concept. Does that make sense? It's yeah. if you're if you are if you're wanting communication, like you said, and friendship, and you're wanting this doll to come alive, maybe you have an ancestor who's trying to warn you about something, who's trying to give you a message for some reason or other. What are they going to do? They're going to go to the thing that you are talking to already, and and enter it. And there you go. You have a haunted doll. Yeah, I, and I I theorize that it even extends to just random the rando hitchhiking ghost or whatever that might be passing through that's like wants to engage in some sort of conversation and wants to respond to someone asking questions. Um, and I don't think that that's a malevolent thing. I think it's just a hey, yeah, I'm I'm on this party line. I wanna I wanna chat. I mean, but I I do I think it's worth asking you, David. And, and I, this is not anything hidden because I've um, 
I've full disclosure. I mean, I've I've investigated at Fort East Martella with you with um, around the Robin Dahl area. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Just to repeat, yeah, we I would say that uh, yeah, it's we did a Halloween night full moon, blue moon, Friday the thirteenth seance with Robert the Doll and a Ouija board seance. So wow. I think we hit we ticked all the boxes with that. <laughs> <one>. <laughs> I well, you know, every, people write these letters saying, uh, "Please forgive me, Robert. I'm so sorry, Robert." And he's taken on this this doll. It has taken on this object of malevolence, of epitome of a of a curse. And I was I'm curious. Do you think that the doll itself is evil? Do you think people should be writing in and saying, "I'm so sorry. Please forgive me, doll, for taking a picture of you without asking for permission," and et cetera, et cetera. I think you know where I'm going with this. Yeah, I I have no doubt that disrespectful to the doll have issues now um, he's received close to 10,000 letters last count that I heard um, I don't believe every single one of them is stuff that Robert did you know you get people saying hey you know I lost my luggage people lose their luggage every day mm-hmm. but when you see five or six letters where people were struck by lightning when you see seven or eight letters where people found dead deer on their yard or hit a deer shortly after disrespecting Robert, it makes you start to question things. And a lot of these things stop after they apologize to Robert. Now, it goes back to multiple entities. I think the true spirit in Robert is an innocent child. And you get children who come to the fort. You know, some people go up there thinking, oh, it's an evil doll. And then they might be a little disappointed because nothing evil happens. But then you get these kids who will go up expecting an evil doll and they look at him and say, I love you, Robert, especially children with autism. And you get these people send not just the negative ones saying, remove my curse. You get people sending letters saying, you're my best friend, Robert. I love you, Robert. I wish I could take you home with me, Robert. So I think it can be a case of we get what we're looking for, um, which, which is something you mentioned earlier. Uh, you know, the I think the more innocent people, people get good out of Robert who want good out of Robert. People who show up who are disrespectful. There was a drunk lady one night. She flipped Robert off. Uh, she was mouthing off to him, ah, you're nothing but a stupid rag doll. Uh, he threw his stuffed lion at her. Hmm. Um, and he's in a case. You know, this isn't something that would just happen. The next day, the, the, you know, the museum had to go through the procedures to disarm him and undo the case and, and pick that up. So you see these reactions when people are jackasses. And a lot of people come in and worry, I don't want to mess him up. I don't want to be cursed. And I tell them, Listen, first off, I tell them, don't ask permission. One of the biggest myths about robbers, you better ask permission. I think, and I believe Heather will agree with this, you don't ask permission, that's inviting something in. Um, It's about respect with Robert. And if you go in there with disrespect of any form, yeah, you're asking for a problem. But if you just go in with good intentions, if you treat Robert like you'd treat a human, if you're a good human and you treat a human like that, 
then you're gonna then you're gonna be fine. But we, I think we all know when our behavior is right and wrong. And I almost feel like Robert and the spirits within him are they're a gauge. They're, they're kind of a gauge. Hey, how good of a human are you? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, it's it's poking the bear, right? It's um, mm-hmm. disrespect and provocation in any situation doesn't tend to lead to good things. And whether you're dealing with a wild animal or an unexplained force or whatever, or just a person on the street, that you, you tend to um, get farther when you're showing respect and not trying to stir up trouble as opposed to the opposite. But uh, Heather, did she, was there anything about what David just said that you wanted to respond to? Yeah, I think that goes for, um, you know, in, in any paranormal circumstance, any spirits, any kind of any work you do in the occult, you're dealing with spirits, ancestors, anything you respect is the key word like i think that is the most important thing to understand when you're dealing with it if you don't know if the doll is haunted you suspect it is approach with respect um i i would i approach the dolls i have and i have a i have over 100 dolls i own um being a lover of dolls i respect them all because and, you know in the in the back when my re, did my research on japan one of the ways to ensure you don't know if your doll is going to become inspirited you don't know if it'll become that vessel so you treat it with respect even when it's not so that way when it does it will help you rather than hinder you it will help you rather than harm you so respect seems to be what you find across the board when dealing with um dolls and magic in general when you're doing puppets it's the same thing it's the respect for that energy that you're working the magic you're working and i think that goes across um so i think that's the key thing i I like hearing that about robert well david do you think though that the attention given to robert especially when it's negative attention or creating feeding this notion of a curse or malevolence and let's face it like you know that's that's sexy tv that's what sells like it's what people want to see you know that's if there if there's a blockbuster movie about robert the doll it's going to be focusing on robert the the evil demon doll not the misunderstood doll so do you think with all of that energy and attention placed upon him and towards him is it in effect stirring up negativity connected with that doll? Without doubt, without doubt. Uh, a long time ago, somebody made up the story that Robert was the inspiration for Chucky. Uh, and he's not, he's not. You know, the, the creator of the Chucky movies has come out and said that's, uh, that's, that's based on the My Buddy doll and blatant consumerism. Yeah. But the story won't die because it's such a good story. And there have been several productions that have come down here wanting to tell the true story of Robert the doll. 
when I tell them the true story, they're like, well, we want to include this story. What, what about the, what about the girl that he strangled and suffocated? No 10 year old girl ever lived there. Well, can you just tell us that she did for, for the story? Um, so there's a lot of that. And so, so to date, date you have never seen the true story of robert the doll presented on television or anywhere as much as people want to say that because they do know that the the fear is what sells and the horror is what sells and the actual story of robert to me it's to me it's more fascinating than than these cheap uh he killed a 10 year old girl you know the fact that there's multiple entities there bad things are happening to people all over but nobody ever wants to talk about this innocent child that's trapped in the doll. Okay. I mean, nobody wants to give attention and I almost feel, you know, I'll, I'll call myself a doll tender and me and the guides are doll tenders. We're not tending to the dark Robert where they're trying to nurture the young spirit. And every tour we tell that story and we tell people take pictures of Robert. Don't ask permission, but don't focus. Don't feed, you know, these, these dark energies, feed the child. Cause that's the one who needs it. So you, you do think, you do think there's a young child spirit. Without, without doubt. It's the daughter of Emmeline Abbott. So uh, Robert is actually um, a Bahamian girl, uh, the, the, the true spirit. Right? And I have no doubt about that. I bought a book of Bahamian history and before the tour, many nights I'll, I'll open up a random chapter and I'll read a paragraph or two and I'll, I'll say, Hey, Robert, this, you know, this is where your parents are from. Here's a little bit about their place. Um, when I set up the chairs in his room at night, I'll teach him how to count, uh, in Spanish because that's what I knew. And then, um, you know, being a German doll, I, I attempted that too, where I learned a little bit of German. And so I'll try to do things to nurture because figure if you're a child trapped in a doll, and all day you get people coming up, giving the same looks, thinking, thinking the same thing. It's not going to help you grow. Um, and I would love one day to chat, to, to set the child spirit free. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people think that the child spirit is actually stopping all of the dark ones from coming out of the portal. But I think they're, I think they're already out. I think, I think, you know, there's, there's a symbiotic relationship to a degree, but I wish more people would go up there and nourish that child spirit. So maybe we can get this innocent child to move on. Do you, it's a bit of a tangent, but do you think that my own experiences at the 40s Martello is that there's a lot of other stuff happening there outside of Robert, like stuff that like I find very fascinating. Do you think that in, to some degree, the focus on Robert is blocking the attention on the other potential activity taking place there. It used to, it used to. Robert used to be the only thing anybody would talk about. Uh, since we've started doing tours up there, we let people do the VIP where they get to go around on their own, and we point out all the haunted hotspots and give them equipment so they do their own investigations. And what I love about this, people regular contact with Civil War soldiers uh, who who died of yellow fever there. And, you know, the name Jacob is coming up all the time. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not talking it's happened once or twice. It's happened 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 times. 
Um, so I feel like we're giving these other spirits the energy they deserve. There's children out by, by an old dollhouse, even though, though no children died at the fort. I think they were attached to that artifact when it came in. Um, it, it's hard to say, but by letting people investigate other things, and I find when people do the VIP, most of them don't stay around Robert. They yeah. usually go off to the other areas. And and yeah, and one and one of the things we like to do, we want to give them energy. My thing's never to keep a spirit around. I want them to leave. If we can get them to leave. And I, I think energy is the way to do that. And that's always what I hope to do. Well, I think what you and I have spoken that yeah, Robert is fascinating, but man, that that raft at the Fort East Martell is still like that gets me, and then there's some other spots over there in that museum that that that's that's the stuff that pulls me in and creeps me out. Not that I'm scared of it, but like it it piques my interest. Uh, Heather, from your perspective, there's obviously this whole buyer's market out there of haunted dolls, and maybe it's just someone picking up a random cabbage patch doll that they they found at a thrift shop or whatever and now they're saying it's haunted but or maybe there's something some bigger story to it i was just curious what's your perspective on this because if we start calling these things haunted or cursed or evil or demonic or whatever it's kind of leading the witness to some degree it could also even attract that energy i don't know what's what's your thought on all of that this buyer's market yeah, I, I, you know, I was looking at it recently, um, just out of curiosity, um, before we spoke, um, ironically, and and I tend to be very skeptical, to be honest. I tend to look at those and think, okay, it's so easy to scam people, especially yeah. with the internet <laughs> purchasing. So, yeah, I think a lot of that you take so, you take a doll that some child has beaten up. Um, some of the dolls I've restored look looked haunted so to speak you know they were the kids just beat the dolls up you put them up on ebay you say they're haunted someone buys them because there is because we love to be feared to be fearful of haunted dolls we love that so to get one and to either use it in for a party a halloween party to use it for um to scare somebody you know so i think there's a i think a lot of it's scammy i don't think there all of these dolls out there are haunted and i think it's people buyer beware but I think like both of you said earlier that if you wish for something long enough, it may just happen. And then you better beware because you don't know what type of spirit could take up residence in your doll. And and that's where it gets dangerous. You know, from a from a spirit perspective, you could wind up with a very sweet child, um, as Robert did. Um, or you could wind up with multiple spirits or ancestors or harmful um, you know, demons as they called them in Japan or just harmful spirits that are angry. So, you know, I, I would say buyer beware. You might get a dud. Most likely we'll get a dud, but um, you also may get a dud that eventually brings something and you don't know what that is if you are not careful and you don't know what you're doing, how to deal with it if it's a problem. Yeah, be careful what you wish for. Exactly. What you what you intend for. Yeah. And, you know, you really, with with when dealing with anything like this, Um, you really need to be prepared. Um, You need to either have somebody that knows what they're doing, know somebody who's into the paranormal, who knows how to investigate, know somebody who's into the occult, that knows how to protect, that knows how to do seances, communicate with spirit, you know, all of that stuff. 
you don't take this lightly. Um, so I would say don't buy a haunted doll off of eBay. That would yeah. be my take. <laughs> well, and also, honestly, you know, I op- I operate from a fairly rational and open-minded but skeptical right. approach to things. And I'm also fully aware, I don't know what someone is doing or intending to do with this doll that they're trying to sell. Like, the, you know, I don't know what they are trying to do to it, much less... When you bring it into your home, what you hope and expect and everything from it, but what they are trying to do to a thing, I think plays into it as well. But it's it's an interesting it's an interesting market. There's no shortage of haunted dolls out there for people no. to I think it's to. you know, I think if you really wanted to investigate and and um that's how I got my doll right here. Um there she is. She's I'm restoring her. Um <laughs> And she's from 1938, uh, R&B doll, and she is not has not become inspirited yet, but she's close to 100. So we're looking forward to that moment. And I treat her very much with respect, as David spoke about. But um, she, uh, it, I got her through the original owner who played with her, and she was like a legacy his doll in the family. And then you can go to uh, antique shops, and you can go to people who have dolls. Like we have my mother's doll as well, um, and we treat them with respect rather than buying them off of ebay which like you said they could stuff the doll with who knows what or have some malintention or, some, or yeah. just you know so i think that's a good place if you wanted to find an old doll and then wait for it to come alive and dance with you you could do that through an antique a reputable antique store or a local we did uh we did an experiment at the fort where i bought a doll off of ebay that was 100 percent not haunted mm-hmm. and uh, it was to test why dolls might become haunted. And what I did is I put her on an old rocking chair and we'd put a K2 meter on her and set her in front of the dollhouse. And I told a story that at the time people would believe true. I told them later on that it wasn't, but I wanted to infuse that energy. And we talked about a child who fell from the top of the Citadel and that is their spirit that's inside the doll. And we said that she could make the chair rock and that she'd light up the K2 meter. And it took about a month of telling the story, but after a month, the K2 meter started lighting up almost every every night. After uh, about three months, the rocking chair started rocking. And it didn't happen every night, but the rocking chair rocked more than a dozen times. And so what I believe happened is we created a spirit in that doll. Now, we had a, a Robert stunt double, Richard, who was used in parades and stuff like that. And I, so I decided, well, let's create another haunted doll. And with him, I said, he gets very jealous when we talk about Robert and he likes to stomp on people. Took uh, about three weeks and then people started having their foot stepped on all the time. I stopped talking about him doing that. People still were having their foot stepped on. So I I do believe that we can create these haunted dolls. I do believe that the spirit energy will fill in and do what we say that they do. There's no reason you can if it's a if it's a vessel. People create vessels of all kinds of things for spirits in 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 mediumship and stuff. So yeah, absolutely. Wow. It's a it's connected to the the Philip experiment 
in a way of mm-hmm. like the intention of, of creating essentially a ghost or a notion of a ghost or other people would say tulpas or egregores, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, before I, I, I want to move on in and read some of our listener stories about haunted dolls. But before I do, David, I, I can't help but notice you do seem to have a different kind of doll or figure to your right. Can you give us a little bit of the backstory on that? Is that a doll that I'm seeing? Yeah, this is my Yemayal statue. Um, it's a, a Sandra. She's an Arisha. Um, some of the earliest dolls, if you go back to Africa, dolls weren't used as toys. They were used to teach children about the gods. And it wasn't that that the doll was just a vessel or something to play with or a representation of the God. It, it was more of a vessel where they'd say those spirits are coming down into it. Um, so, so early on, like the, since the first dolls, that's why they were kind of invented was this is the spirit world. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I worship a lot of different entities, deities. I, I have a lot of things that I worship and I believe it's all this transference of energy, but yeah, my, uh, is, uh, is, is one of them. So I had her here. That's a that's a great piece. I think. And oh. a little Robert too. <laughs> a little, one a is little Bobby haunted. there. Little Robert. Yeah. Yeah. This one's this one's not haunted. Um, one one other quick thing though that I think is interesting. Um, you got these little dolls. These um, it's a it's a German bisque doll. These have been washing up on the beaches of Key West for years, and the beach near tell her where Robert the doll is. And the first curator of 40 Smartella when it became a museum, she was the biggest doll collector on the island. And she had a huge collection of these and her and the other ladies would get together there and try to put together an entire doll. One would have like part of the body, one would have part of the head. And nobody knows where they came from. You know, they say there was the doll head wreck, but nobody knew. And I, th- I think it's fascinating that that doll energy was in Key West and then at the fort, and, you know, from there, a dollhouse came there, one of the oldest dollhouses on the island. And Gene Otto, Robert's human, helped turn the place into a museum. And then it all kind of melts together. It wasn't until 1994, all those years later, but it became like the doll headquarters. So, again, an infused energy, which is pretty fascinating. A strange synchronicity. It's That is yeah. interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well... We, on the Talking Strange show, we partnered with Full Moon Features, and they have the Baby Oopsie horror franchise, and they created these Baby Oopsie dolls, these one-to-one replica, and uh, these are creepy dolls, and, and very cute dolls, cute and creepy, and... Full Moon Features offered us the opportunity to give one of these away, only 900 of these that were made. And I invited listeners to submit their haunted toy stories, their haunted doll stories. And I've narrowed these down to two stories. And my question for both Heather and David as my guest today, if I were to read these stories, can you... Place a, uh, a judgment on which one is the better story as to who is going to win 
this only one of 900 uh, baby oopsie one-to-one replicas. Uh, do you think you guys can assist me with that? I can pick a favorite. Sure. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I'm going to, I'm going to read these two stories and bear with me. They, they're a little bit long, but they are good stories. So I'm going to go through these and then we're going to take a vote between David and Heather. If there's a tie, I guess I get to, I get to break it. But okay. The first story is from Crystal. Now we've received lots. These are the two finalists. This is Crystal's story. What follows is entirely true, she writes. I've always loved clowns. I had a growing collection of them as a child, some crocheted by relatives, a few fancy porcelain gestures as holiday gifts, and even one with a wind-up music box in the belly. My favorite became the reason I first learned clowns had a scary reputation. The toy in question had unusually long arms and legs that dangled over the edge of my dresser. In the dark, my nightlight illuminated its white face and cast strange shadows over its features. I would stare at it from my bed as it slumped against my piggy bank facing the doorway. Sometimes, I would think, the shadows made it look as if the legs were swinging. Sometimes, I would imagine, the shadows made it seem as if the head is tilting. And then I would close my eyes and cover my head with a blanket. I loved my clown, but at night it seemed different. At night, it moved. I would wake in the morning to find the clown in unusual places, seated at my play table as if ready for a tea party, propped against my toy shopping basket, casually waiting for me to wake, resting over my favorite baby doll's head, perhaps helping it play peekaboo, although... It looked as if it were smothering the poor baby. I would always put the clown back in its home on my dresser, but an uneasy feeling was growing inside me. There was something wrong. When I woke during the night to find the clown at the foot of my bed, I stuffed it in a corner out of sight and told it to stay there. And for a while, it did. One morning, my father found the clown on the floor between my dresser and the closet. I was afraid to tell him why it was there. I was trying to be a big girl, so I should not be afraid of silly things. It must have fallen, he said. The clown found a new home atop the shelf on the back of my bright red car bed, its legs lazily drooping over the edge and swaying above my head. I didn't sleep for days. Watching those feet seemed to give alternating little kicks that could not be explained by any other force. After nightfall, being around this clown did not feel safe. Then one night, the clown sat still. I stared up at the unmoving shoes and realized how stupid I was to be afraid of a toy, especially one that was special to me. For the first time since it placed, since it was placed atop my bed, I actually began to drift off to sleep. I even felt a little proud, a little mature, overcoming such a silly fear until I heard it. There was a soft padded thump above me, followed by a whisper of sliding fabric. I opened my eyes to see the legs had shifted and a hand hung down at the end of a thin arm. It ticked back and forth, giving an airy wave, the cloth of the arm wishing against the shelf 
with each swing. This time, I couldn't pretend to be a big girl. I quickly rolled to the side of the bed, furthest from the clown, and climbed over the short rail of the car-shaped frame, rushing down the hallway towards my parents' door without looking back. I was certain it would be slinking along behind me, crawling on all fours. My heart was racing. My eyes stung as I held back tears. They would think I was crazy. They would send me right back to bed. They would flick on the light. The clown would somehow be sitting upright on the shelf as if nothing had happened. And my dad would tuck me in super tight, like usual, unknowingly leaving me to be murdered in my sleep. Quietly opened the door and cleared my throat, whisper pleading to climb into their bed because I felt sick, a stomach ache, a sore throat, a headache. Please, could I stay with them? And I stared at the ceiling while I cuddled between them, too terrified to look towards the hallway. The next morning, when I was brave enough to enter my bedroom, I found the clown on my pillow. For the first time in daylight, the head tilted ever so slightly. I moved the other curly-haired dolls with shining eyes and brightly colored clothing off of my toy box and put the strange long limb clown inside. Carefully, I placed a few other heavier toys on top of the lid, just in case. Then I gathered all of my courage to alert an adult. It is staring at me, I told my parents, and it moves. If I fall asleep, I'm afraid it might kill me. Any fear I had of being dismissed as childish was soon gone as my mom was quick to lend her own suspicions. All clowns are a little creepy, but this one is especially strange, she said. The way it doesn't quite smile. I'm glad it's not an dresser anymore. Watching me in the hallway, she shuddered. Mom shared her own irrational fear that those long arms and legs were all too easy to imagine strangling someone. My parents agreed to get rid of the doll, which should be where the story ends. But this contest has unearthed some other strange recollections. First, while we all remember the clown having those excessively long limbs and being present in my bedroom for a number of years before the eventual disposal, there is no photographic evidence of this specific doll in any of my childhood photos. So I reached out to other relatives who remembered the creepy clown. All of us had the same basic description, legs and arms long enough to wrap around my tiny neck at least once. So that has to be true. The specifics differ after that. It had purple diamond patterns on the fabric. No, with primary colored stripes. No, one solid blue and one solid yellow leg. No, it was white silk gesture jumpsuit. The shoes were a red soft patent leather. No, they were a hard yellow plastic. No, they were white cloth feet. No, they were fragile ceramics with painted toes. Everyone agrees. It made them feel uneasy from the start, and no one wanted to ruin my love of clowns by saying so. We spent the last few days trying to locate a similar clown online to no avail. And in questioning my parents, I learned they never donated the clown as planned. Each assumed the other had taken it from my room and gotten rid of it. 
and I thought they had thrown it away when it was no longer in my toy box. It just vanished. Perhaps my other, more loyal toys had a hand in its disappearance. So that's one story. That's the story from Crystal. It's a pretty good story. I like that. Yeah, that's, uh, uh, yeah, that's, that's creepy. That's creepy. You guys, can you not, handle one more story? Not up pictures anywhere. That's so. Yeah. <laughs> can you handle one more story and then we'll make uh, a judgment? Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. Now, this story is from Tara. Now, Tara writes, many years ago, I planned a quick one-night trip to the Oregon coast with longtime friends and our kids. I found an unassuming little beach house not far from the ocean, and something about it appealed to me. So I booked it, and a week later, we were off. After a day of travel adventures, we settled into our rental house for the night. A quick tour of the place revealed that the bedrooms were all upstairs, and I needed to decide who was sleeping where. My friends were taking the pull-out couch downstairs, so I headed on up. At the top of the stairs was a room that was intended to be the main bedroom, and I placed my bag in there. Turning my attention back to the hall, I had a couple of doors to choose from. One turned out to be a bathroom, but behind the other, I discovered another stairwell. As the door opened, there was a soft rush of air and a faint odor of dust. The light from the hall revealed a short set of stairs to a loft-style bedroom beneath the rafters. The energy was unsettling, but I chalked it up to the surprise of finding this hidden staircase. From the top of top step, I could see that there was a set of twin beds and each had a trunk at the end. With the light on, I the room felt less foreboding and I opened one of the trunks to reveal that it was a toy chest, which contained only one item a bundle in the center of the box that appeared to be something wrapped in a small blanket. I picked it up, I laid it on the bed, corner by corner, I unwrapped it with a bit of a sense of dread that I couldn't rationalize. With the last of it unfolded, I found myself staring at a doll with ratty hair and an older style dress. It was unremarkable except for the eyes which were piercing. I must have stood there for a full minute waiting for something to happen, but I collected my scattering thoughts and took a deep breath and my mind cleared. Couldn't bring myself to wrap her back up, so I placed her on the dresser and promptly forgot about her as the kids started up the stairs to bring their bags to the room. They found me there in the loft space and were thrilled with the beds and to have a room that felt like a fort. Shortly after, they were tucked in for the night, and after a round of cribbage with the adults, I was off to bed myself. I fell asleep quickly and slept soundly for some time before awakening with a start. Immediately, I realized I was cold and my breathing was shallow. I was frozen in place, facing the middle of the bed with my back to the edge, and I knew in that way that you just do that someone was standing behind me. 
as I tried to steady myself and muster the courage to roll over, I heard a little girl's voice right by my ear say, I never sleep here. And with that, I shot upright and turned towards the open door. I saw a quick flash of a shadow turning a corner in the direction of the door of the loft. Fearing for the kids, I jumped up and ran into the hall. The door to their room was open, and I raced up the stairs. Out of breath, more from adrenaline than fear, I hit the top of those stairs and turned the light from my phone on, swinging it wildly around the room, looking for a mystery child who I'd swear I had seen and heard. In one heart-stopping moment, the beam of my light landed on those piercing eyes of the doll, the doll I'd uncovered earlier. But to my surprise, she wasn't where I'd left her on the dresser. She was sitting on the floor between the two beds, seemingly staring at me with an unsettling gaze. I quickly approached the doll and picked her up. Grabbing the blanket from the floor at the foot of the bed, I placed her in it and carried her down the stairs. Back in the quiet of my room, I sat on the floor with this doll wrapped in the blanket and frantically tried to make sense of the past few minutes. My logical brain wanted me to set the thing down and go back to sleep, but the hair on my neck, the hair on the back of my neck was still raising alarms I could not quite understand. Finally, in exhaustion, I set the doll in a chair, still wrapped in her blanket, and I laid down back on the bed. Mind racing, I spent a fitful night tossing, turning. Morning arrived, and the kids ran downstairs to the kitchen. When I could hear them settled at the table with their cereal, I carried the doll back up to the loft and returned her to the toy chest. I felt a heaviness as I closed the lid and carried with me a sense of guilt as I headed back downstairs. We finished our day at the coast and in the late afternoon, piled into the cars to head home. For a while, I drove mindlessly, tuning out the chatter in the backseat. The kids, they pulled out random things out of their backpacks to entertain themselves. I paid little attention until I heard my daughter's friend exclaim, Look what I found on my bed when I went up to get my bag. Hello. Glancing in the rear-view mirror, my eyes connected with the glass-eyed stare of the doll I had carefully returned to the chest. I started to pull over, but something in me knew that even if I took it back or left it there by the road, somehow it would turn up again. After all, why would it want to stay in a place where I could never sleep. So I drove on and the doll was passed back and forth over the years between our households. Never again did it turn up where it shouldn't have and I never felt any sense of fear around it. I like to think it's because whatever spirit that had attached to it could finally be at rest. But sometimes when I look into the eyes of a doll, I have to wonder what might be looking back at me. And that's Tara's story. So, David L. Sloan, Heather Green, 
Wow. Easy test. Those are two great stories. They are great. Ooh. We got Crystal and Tara. Uh, who who gets the giveaway replica baby oopsie doll? Uh, I want to tell you this. Yeah, okay, so, so I heard Crystal's story, and you know Robert the doll was originally a clown, mm-hmm. and I heard uh, I heard the story of I I'm like I was like she's the winner. It's impossible to have a story better than this. It was such a brilliant story. Um, <laughs> and then when I started hearing Tara's story, it was good. And then what really got me was the, I never sleep here. Yeah, that's that's creepy. I'm going to have nightmares uh, about that tonight. <laughs> I, I have no doubt I'm going to wake up tonight and, and that doll is going to be there in my ear saying, I never sleep here. But in a way, two different endings because one is creepy and mysterious, just vanishes, and the other, it's almost like a sense of peace. I know it, 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 they're they're both just. Um, but I'm I'm gonna have to go with Tara's. All right, got a a vote for Tara. Uh, Heather, by no means should you be influenced by David's vote. <laughs> Well, I think I think we were having uh, I think we we're having the same vibe because I really was like even at the beginning of Tara's story I was like oh the clown one you can't beat the clown one that was a great story very and 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 just so you guys don't know is that I'm actually a book editor in in my uh, everyday life <laughs> so I read these kind of things all the time and um, I thought it was a well presented well written great story just really engrossing but. I think I'm going to go with Tara's because right at the center when the doll, when she gets to that, and I love horror movies, gets to that moment where she turns over and the doll's speaking and really gets into the interaction with the doll. And then the ending message is brilliant. Uh, when we're talking, when we've been talking about dolls, that end message is what's it, when a doll's looking at you, they might be looking back. And I, I love that, that message at the end. So I'm going to go with Tara. All right. That, well, they were both, excellently Excellent. written there was a lot of great submissions both crystal and tara really both of you came down uh, as these two finalists because of how uh, impressive these stories are and you both tell me these are true stories i really hope well i mean scary but i really hope they're both true and uh, <laughs> they're well written stories so that said looks like tara you are getting the Baby Oopsie, one-to-one replica, only one of 900 made doll. We are, we're going to be contacting you for that. And thank you to everyone that submitted these stories. It was just such a joy to read. I'll still probably be reading some more of them on the small talk mini episodes of Talking Strange, but it was great. And, and David and Heather, thank you guys for not only weighing in on these stories, but contributing your time today and, talking about Robert the Doll and Haunted Doll Theories. Before we wrap up, before I let you guys go, I would like to ask, how can people best support you and the work that you do? David L. Sloan. I run tours in Key West. People can go to ghostkeywest.com. If they're in town, we'll take you out on some amazing tours with Robert the Doll. Uh, If you can't make it to Key West, the Robert the Doll rum is available. Go to ghostkeywest.com slash rum. That benefits the Key West Art and Historical Society, the nonprofit organization that that cares for Robert as an artifact. 
And next time I'm down there, David, I'll, we'll have to actually open a bottle of this rum and make some cocktails with it. Since I'm, I'm not going to open my bottle. In the cemetery. Done. Yes. There's the backstory to that one. Yes. <laughs> on Halloween. On. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Heather Green, how can people best support you and uh, keep up with all of your work? Well, first of all, I'm going to have to try this rum now after all this talk. So, so that's on that's on my plans now. Um, it, the best way to find me is I'm on all the main socials, Twitter, Facebook. But the best way to find me is to go to heathergreen.net. The links are all there. You can find where I am. I'm most active on Twitter, but you can also interact with me on Facebook and um, my links to my articles that pop up um, on Religion News Service, which cover the occult, will always be on the website as well. I update that um, or other places as well. So go to heathergreen.net to find me. And I and uh, I love talking about dolls. So, so uh, reach out and show me your dolls. I'd love to see them. What, what about the what about the book that you wrote that Aaron was talking oh, about? Oh, yeah, what, sure. I'll hold that up again. And that's also on my website. Everything I do goes up on my website at some point. It's Lights, Camera, Witchcraft. Okay, cool. And and yes, let me just say that uh, both my guests today, both David and Heather, we're talking about haunted dolls, but they are both accomplished authors and researchers in all manner of history and occult research and uh, paranormal uh, research and ghost stories all together, like just really great people that uh, the reason I bring people back onto the show is that I like talking to uh, folks that just really impress me and really inspire me. And that, that is certainly the case for both David and Heather. So my name is Aaron Sagers and my guests are Heather Green and David L. Sloan. And this has been talking strange. And if you have stories you'd like to share of the strange and unusual Email us at TalkingStrange at denofgeek.com. And until next time, please be kind, stay spooky, and keep it weird. Talking Strange is a part of the Den of Geek Network, available wherever you listen to other podcasts. If you like what we're doing, share Talking Strange with your friends and fellow spooky nerds. And please subscribe, rate, and leave a nice review. If you have a strange or paranormal story you would like to share with us, please email talkingstrange at denofgeek.com for a chance to have it read on a future episode. For video episodes of Talking Strange, check out twitch.tv slash denofgeektv and youtube.com slash denofgeekus. And please follow at TalkStrangePod on Twitter and at Aaron Sagers on Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon for more paranormal pop culture content.